Don't be a quitter. Get back in there and play that video game. I'm Lance Leffler, and yes, video games are finally getting their due on God Meets the Grind. One of my sons got really good at the video game Call of Duty. Every day he would tear through his homework so he could get to gaming. I remember one Friday night he came out of his room and wandered into the kitchen for a late night snack. I was already in the kitchen with the same idea, of course. As I finished making us a couple of ham sandwiches, I took this as a teachable moment and busted out the don't you think you're playing video games too much speech? It was filled with fatherly wisdom and passionate and eloquent to boot. I handed him his sandwich with an air of triumph. He smirked. He got that from me. I come from a long line of smirkers, so I can't really get upset. Then he proceeded to inform me that he could win a million dollars in an upcoming video game tournament. My jaw dropped open. A million dollars? He nodded, took a bite of the sandwich and smirked again and added that the best gamers get sponsorships and endorsements, that they make a great living playing video games. I had no idea. I reached across the counter and snatched the sandwich right out of his hand. What the heck are you doing out here with me, I said. Get back to playing. You have dreams, right? If not dreams, you have goals. Or if not goals, maybe you at least want to see Europe someday? Or New Jersey? Most of us humans are striving to achieve something. We want to win. We want to get that 4.0 GPA and get accepted to that college. We want to excel in our business. We want to make a great marriage or raise kids that don't embarrass us or maybe even crush it in the video game world. In this episode, we pick up on Paul the Apostle's greatest goal. We're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only, let us hold true to what we've obtained. Paul begins by admitting he hasn't obtained it. What's the it? If we look back to verse 11, which we covered last episode, he ended with, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Then verse 12 begins, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. So he's pointing to our future resurrection to be with Christ in heaven. Along with this comes perfection, of course, being completely and finally transformed into Christ's image. So Paul's basically saying, hey, I haven't arrived yet, spiritually speaking. But there's one thing Paul knows. Christ has made him his own. Paul knows this like you know the roof of your own mouth. It spurs him on towards one all-consuming goal. And what's that? Let's look at verse 13. He says here that he strains forward to what lies ahead. And he continues this thought in verse 14, which it's a new verse, but it's still the same sentence. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
When I was a kid, nothing mattered more to me than hockey. And there was nothing quite like scoring a goal. And there was absolutely nothing like scoring a breakaway goal. A breakaway goal is when you get the puck and there are no defenders between you and the other team's goalie. It's just you and him. And you take off down the ice as fast as you can with the other team chasing after you. It's like the final chase scene from a cop movie. You've never felt so alive. You have split seconds to decide what to do with the puck. The goalie glides out to meet you and to cut down your angle on the net. You can't slow down. The defenders are right on your heels. At the last second, you take your shot or you deke around the goalie and you score the goal or you miss. Well, I guess other kids missed. I'm just kidding. But in this particular breakaway, you scored. And at the end of it, your heart's beating out of your chest from the adrenaline. You're gasping for breath. Your lungs are about to explode, but it doesn't matter. The crowd's going wild, and you felt the thrill of pressing on toward the goal and scoring gloriously. Paul's using a sports illustration here in our passage. Unfortunately for Paul, they didn't have hockey in the Roman Empire. He's probably talking about running, the least fun sport there is. But we connect with this imagery— Paul says that those who are mature should think this way. That is, think along the lines of pressing on toward the goal. Here's the weird thing. For many of us, Christianity is just sort of a static religion. We live our lives all week, then pause to sit through a worship service on Sunday that may or may not bore us to death, and then get on with our lives again. Did you catch that? The Christian part of our week constitutes a pause in the action. We sit and endure. But the Bible doesn't present the Christian faith this way at all. Let's look at verse 14 again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That means a racetrack stretches out in front of us. That unmistakable red polyurethane surface with the white lines painted on it. For my part, I wish it was a beach that stretched out in front of me or a recliner. I hate running. Regardless of what I think, this metaphor of running a race to obtain a prize becomes a real way of seeing the Christian life. Don't miss this. Some aspect of what we do as followers of Jesus is typified best by the image of a race. That is the furthest thing from static. And there's a prize for running, a reward when we die. We don't talk much about this, but the Bible mentions a final judgment at the end of this age for those who didn't believe in Jesus and for those who did. For believers, this is basically a rewards judgment, not condemnation. Still, consider what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. As I said, the general tenor of the final judgment for those who believe in Jesus is rewards, not judgment. But I would point out how Paul describes it here in 2 Corinthians 5.10 as receiving what is due for us for what we did in this life, whether good or bad. So this must mean there will be some sort of reckoning with those moments where we pulled back from serving, from giving, or for the times we delighted in anything but Jesus, 
or the years we spent just biding our time on Sunday mornings to get back to the real excitement, our career or family or hobbies. Yes, we're forgiven of our sins and, and all that in this life, but there's also this notion that we should be progressing, growing, striving for heaven. Along with this, I think it's reasonable to say that God has something for you to do in this life for him. Maybe, given your skill set and character and relationships, there's something specific that God has for you. Maybe there are people around you who need what you bring to the table and you've been holding back. Here's what I think about when I think about my own life. When I die, will I be able to look back and say, I gave Jesus my best? Nope. I already know the answer to that one. I can tell you right now, there was more that I could have done. There were sins that I clung to and never took extreme measures to shake. I could have been more devoted to Bible reading and prayer and fasting, given more money away, been kinder to people. Even in my area of strength, which I think is teaching and preaching, I'm often half-hearted, half-prepared, distracted by trivial things. I really don't think we think about this stuff enough. So if I could leave you with one thing today, it would be this. Something is expected of us. If you've been holding back, burying your talent for whatever reason, fear, the busyness of life, resentment for something that happened to you, let this part of Philippians move you. The way Paul was moved to write it to move you, funnily enough. Let's calibrate our lives to eternity like Paul did. That's why he pressed on, strained forward toward the goal. When it comes to the Christian life, we can't not run. Running the race is not reserved for super-Christians or apostles. It's part of what it means for ordinary saps like you and me to follow Jesus into eternity. Speaking of eternity, next time we'll look at how our citizenship is changed when we believe in Jesus. That's next time on God Meets the Grind. Oh, 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 oh,